Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So good to have them uh, sing kind of some of the old standards, right? Some of the stuff that we grew up with. How many of y'all grew up with some of those songs, right? Yeah, amen. Hey, listen, uh, before uh, we get started, certainly want to welcome everybody who's streaming the service online, want to welcome everybody uh, who is in here. And I want to take a moment before we dive into the content today and just share real briefly about uh, this coming week. And uh, there's some things that I want to make sure that we uh, understand about our, 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 first of all, just our, our rhythm of what we're doing. So this is normally a time when, my goodness, it's kind of we're, we're throwing for the Super Bowl, right? So normally in a non-pandemic year, we run seven services on the West side. So uh, I want to thank everybody ahead of time for all of your flexibility and that we're going to do this a little bit differently. We've tried to uh, think of a vision of how to do Christmas Eve that would be uh, accommodating to every kind of perspective that we got. So uh, if you want in person, uh, on Thursday, I know guys, you're going to work the shades right again. So on, th- on, in person, that will be, uh, five to seven over at our East campus. Say East campus in person. Great. Okay. So that's what's going to happen uh, on Thursday. If you want an in-person option, here's what we decided to do over there. Uh, for our typically bigger crowds, there's uh, more room over there so we can kind of space out a little bit. One of our struggles here is oftentimes when we think about uh, our, our, our church and our church size, we have most of the people here, but not not all of the bricks and mortar here. So that's kind of what we have to do in sort of doubling up the services. But we've also added a uh, outdoor uh, uh, opportunity for those of you who want outdoor, say outdoor. That's going to be Thursday here, five to seven. Now, here's what I want you to know. This says what we've said, weather permitting, weather permitting. Here's what I want you to know behind that. It would have to be a typhoon. Okay. Now here's what I want to tell everybody. This is 2020. So when I pulled in this morning, I thought Jim Cantori was in the front. So I just want everybody to know that it did make me a little nervous. So we, we want to say we're, we're hoping for this, but it would have to be really rainy for us to step back from that. That's how committed I am to it. But that'll be five to seven. We're going to have a great experience. Now, if you have friends or you're watching online, again, most of our church is online these days. So we want to welcome you. But here's what I would say. We have an online option. So the message I'm preaching Thursday, I preached last Friday online. Does that make sense? So you can get it online starting tomorrow. In fact, what you could do tomorrow, you could watch it if you like. Come back Thursday. Hear it again. Come on, y'all. Work with me a little. All right. So that's what's going to be going on. We have we have um, uh, in-person, uh, outdoors, and online. Now, the online uh, option, like we said. So here's what we're experimenting with. I want to tell you some real creativity here. That's going to be on demand. So in other words, you can watch it starting tomorrow, 21st. And we have it broken down. So we have uh, the, 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 the team did lots of different songs. You could kind of choose your song. But the service will go from my preaching into the traditional uh, silent night. So you can light a candle and all that. Does that sound good? It's going to be experimenting. Now, the following Sunday, which is the 27th, is all online. All online. Okay, Brandon, stand up. 
Brandon, my son-in-law, is preaching this service on 27. So I told him, I said, no pressure, don't mess it up, okay? So that's what's going to happen. That's on the 27th. So we will not be gathering on any campus on the 27th. That will be a virtual experience for us. So an opportunity, honestly, I'm just going to own this. And, and, and I know we, we love our staff. This is an opportunity on the 27th after a crazy year to tell the staff, stay home and in your jammies. We love you. Is that okay for me to do that? That's what we want to do. Praise God. So that's, that's what's happening. Now, let me say this about our missions offering. I'm not going to be apologetic. All year long at COH, we always say, if you are uh, new to Community of Hope, new to the faith, man, we just have all kinds of grace around the offering. That's a big thing. We know sometimes money feels weird at church. In December, though, we have a little bit of a different spirit on that because we are raising additional dollars for mission partners we give away the following year. So I always feel like I can bring a lot more emotion to that space because we're going to be giving all that money away. So traditionally, we'll raise $80,000, in an effort. And I think we have a lot of mission partners that are counting on us this year like never before. So we're going to do that. And we're going to raise some money. We're building a studio out of the East Campus so that we can add on online, on-demand content in our church. Because again, most of us are still online. Does that make sense? So this is a big thing. We're just asking everybody to be involved in this. We think God's going to show up in a profound way, and uh, we're going to we're going to uh, lean into that. Now, uh, some of you asked me. You said, "Like, how how do I do that? Like, if we're here or online or whatever, you can do you can give like you always do online, but just you know identify it as missions offering money, and that would be great. That way, you can mail it in. I put mine this morning. Beth and I put ours in the little lockbox in the back. And so we're, we're done with that. So all kinds of opportunities, you can mail it in, whatever. And we'll keep you informed on that. This is always a big thing for those of us here in our church. We have a lot of excitement around this uh, every year. So I wanted to mention that. Okay, the announcements are now over. Let's stand for closing prayer. Okay, all right. So we're going to get in. We are in week four in our series. Uh, we're we're uh, calling the series Make Room. And we've lit a candle for every one of the season uh, Sundays of Advent. We lit... Uh, the first com- uh, candle to commemorate kind of the value of preparing our hearts. And Trevor talked to us about the value of Christian confession, uh, coming to God with an honesty and with an approachability to let him know all of our lives. If you're with us uh, in week two, we lit a candle to commemorate the value of, of peace. And God offers to us in scripture, he says, a peace that passes human understanding. Amen to that, right? The third week, we lit a candle to commemorate the value of joy in his presence. And we know, remember the psalmist said it this way. He said, in your presence, God, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And then this morning, we've lit a candle to commemorate the value of of love. And what I want us to do today is we're going to talk about uh, the love of God uh, in Christ and we're going to talk about exactly what returning love to him might actually look like. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at two passages of scripture. One is a passage of scripture that um, we typically identify as a, Chris, a Christmas passage. The other is not, but I'm going to show you how it actually is. So that's what we're going to do. The first passage, if you have your Bibles or interested or you want to write it down. We are in is John chapter one and verse 14. This is the classic 
Christmas passage from the Gospel of John, and here's how he records it. He says, the word became flesh, the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Let's pray together. Lord, would you use uh, these words of mine to say something lasting and eternal through the power of your Holy Spirit to every human heart? Uh, We understand, God, many of us do, that when we're involved in a moment like this, here's, here's the faith that I manifest in this space and many of us are manifesting that, Lord, um, we bring all of our human planning and preparation into this moment, and then you, God, by the power of your spirit, you do with it what you can and what you will. So, God, there are many of us here today uh, who we, we want and we need to hear from you. Would you give us an ability to do that in this space, that these words might be for us manna from heaven, and words unto eternal life. This we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So uh, many of y'all know we have four written biblical historical records of the life of Jesus. They are known to us as the Gospels. Could you say them out loud with me? They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all tell the story of Jesus, but they tell the story of Jesus in a unique way. And so uh, if, if for those of you that might not be aware, let me walk you through it real, real quickly. The first book in the New Testament, the first one of these historical records is Matthew's. Matthew was a tax collector who lived during Jesus' time, and his life was radically transformed by the words, the ministry, the teaching, preaching, and healing of Jesus Christ. Matthew was a Jew, and he wrote with a particular eye to his Jewish brothers and sisters to show to them that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And so oftentimes in the Gospel of Matthew, what you find are these kinds of words. You don't really see them in any of the other Gospels. You see it over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. It, It goes something like this. Jesus did this in order to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said when. Or Jesus did this in order to fulfill what so-and-so said when they said this. And at at my own counting, I count over 26 times uh, in in a a casual look-through in the Gospel of Matthew where you see Matthew doing this. He was writing to, to, to anchor the life and ministry of Jesus actually into Old Testament Scripture. Then we get to the gospel of Mark. Let me tell you what's interesting and unique about Mark. Mark's gospel is the oldest gospel. It is written like much like a prequel. We know today when we go to the movies, or should I say when we used to go to the movies, right? And we would go to the movies and sometimes, you know, what Hollywood will do is we have the story. We, we get all these different renditions of the story, but every now and again, they will do the story before the story, Right. Or they'll do the story before the story. These are prequels, and really Mark's gospel is much like a prequel. He doesn't really talk much about the life of Jesus, but he talks a lot about the life of the forerunner to Jesus, 
who we knew as John the Baptist. So that's interesting from the gospel of Mark's perspective. Then you get to the gospel of Luke. For those of you who may be interested, Luke's version is what we think of typically as the classic Christmas story. It's the Charlie Brown version. Luke was a physician and a Gentile, and he writes with a Gentile perspective. He writes to his audience, and he writes as a physician, and as a physician, he gives us all this added detail, because if you know any physicians, physicians know minutia. They know the parts of parts of parts. And Luke writes with that perspective. He gives us all this sort of added content that we don't find in any of the other gospels. And he writes with a particular eye to those of us who are Gentiles. This is why as your pa- one of your pastors always say, if you're beginning a walk with God, you're beginning a relationship with Jesus, where do I start reading the Bible? I'll often say, go to the gospels and read the gospel of Luke. If you're a Gentile, if they say, well, I kind of grew up uh, in the Jewish faith, I would start with the gospel of Matthew. That would be good for you. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then we get to John. Here's what I want you to know about John. John's the theologian. And John writes to help us get behind the story and behind the scenes to the deeper truths of the story. And the verse we just read is a great example. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only of the father, full of grace and full of truth. He's giving us content and detail from a theological perspective behind the story. This is what I love about the gospel of John. Uh, you've heard, maybe you've heard me say before that John was the only disciple who escaped being martyred for his faith. And he lived as a result of that, a reasonably long life back in that day. And there are anecdotal historical accounts that, that tell us that, that they used to carry John in as the early church was forming. And, and John, and, and, and one historian I read from said that it was highly likely that moms and dads would hold their kids up on their shoulders so they could look down into the face of, of the gospel of John, somebody who had seen Jesus, who had been with Jesus and would write a biblical account before he went to heaven. And I always envisioned that, you know, like they carry John in and everybody's showing him, you know, they're showing their kids John and they, he would rise from the bed and he would say, you know, in that classic way, John would probably say it, love one another. And then he'd fall back and they'd carry him out. Now that didn't happen. I'm not adding that. I think kind of think that's probably what happened, but anyhow, so you have that. And so here's the interesting thing. So, so we, we, we look at John chapter 1, verse 14, and we get the incredible promise that God has come to be with us, to identify with us, to understand us, to get involved with us. But then we go to John 14, and we get a visual picture of what it looks like to have Jesus with us. And I want to show you this. This is John chapter 14, and we pick up at verse 15. Here's how John records what he remembers of what Jesus said in the upper room. He says, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Uh, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. 
And the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will in fact be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus says, and before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. For the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not the one we normally think of, not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching for my father will love them. And we notice what he says here. We will come to them and make our home with them. Now, let me say again what I said, because this is really the fulcrum on which really what I want us to understand this morning and this weekend, uh, it hangs on this in John 14, we get a promise. I'll be with you. I'm coming. I'll be with you. John 1, 14. But in John 4, 14, we get a picture of what it looks like. And this is what I want to draw your attention to. I, I, I think this is really important for us because I think this is a snapshot of Jesus with the disciples in the upper room. Uh, this is the place he secured with the disciples to observe the Passover right before his betrayal and crucifixion. Now, it's hard to imagine a scene filled with more nostalgia and with more drama. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just laid out for us there. And it's hard to imagine anything more emotional than this moment. If you think with me about this, let me just kind of clue you in on some history. When, when Jesus was with the disciples and they weren't yet in Jerusalem and they, uh, some of them went to a mountain, he was transfigured before him. They got to see him in his glory. And then, and then the Bible says right after this really mountaintop experience, he says, Hey guys, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And, 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 and they begin to say to him, um, you know, Peter goes, I don't think we should go to Jerusalem. You're going to get crucified in Jerusalem. They don't like us in Jerusalem. And then he said, no, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And then Thomas, who is, we remember as, who do we remember him as? Doubting Thomas. Remember that? Come on. And uh, doubting Thomas says this, well, I guess we'll go and we'll die with you. He's saying, you're going to die. I guess we'll all go. We'll all die. Merry Christmas to us, right? And so they, 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 go to, they go to Jerusalem, and then we have the Passover meal, and then he is betrayed, and he is crucified. And whenever I look at that Passover meal, so much of the Christian experience rests on that moment. This is where we get communion. It's where we get all these different practices. It's where all this stuff really begins to take formation, and, and these guys, you know, um, don't want Jesus to leave. But, but it began, they weren't sure they wanted even to be with him. And this is what I want to draw your attention to. There's been quite a transition that's gone on here. And so we get a picture of what this uh, idea of what this actually uh, looks like. And I think this is one of the deeper questions of Christian discipleship right here. When it comes down to it, at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is how you and I learn to keep company with the Lord. This is it. How do you and I keep company 
with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords. I was thinking about this in kind of a, a weird way. Um, I'm, I, I'm, you know, like you, I, right now, there's not a lot to do, kind of, because we're not, so many of our routines are, are, you know, upset. So, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV, and, and over the pandemic, I've watched more TV than I think I have, you know. And there's a commercial right now on TV that I think points at what I'm trying to get. Have you guys seen this commercial? I want to show you a picture of this. Have you seen... The, right? Right, where this, there's a couple, they have the house, and you know, we really like our house, but we have an ant infestation, and you think it's like ants, and it's this group of ladies, and they show up, right? There's one ant, she's in the refrigerator, expired, expired, expired. I, th- I saw that, and I thought, man, I, that's like my ants. I, have the, the, I could be related to that. There's another one. Let me show you another one. Here's another one, right? There's a clogging problem. Now, they look innocent there. If you watch the commercial, it's kind of creepy. They actually look a little scary, actually. And when I see this, can I just be honest with you? Sometimes I think this is how we think about Jesus. We're infatuated with him. We're drawn to him. And we're kind of nervous about him all at the same time. And here's one of the great messages of Christmas. Jesus would say to us, do not be what? Afraid. He's not like the crazy aunt. He's not like the crazy uncle. And and the picture we get of it is is a look at the disciples. By the time they get to their, what we would understand on this side of religious history, their Christmas meal, they don't want him to leave. He says, hey, everybody, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send someone else. We, we don't want you to leave. If you, if you just hit rewind and you go back to Luke chapter 5, the first time Peter meets Jesus, remember that story? Hey, Peter, go out, cast your net over the boat. We've been fishing all night, Lord, doesn't matter. Hey, throw him on the other side. He does so. What happens? Catches more fish he's ever caught. What's the first thing that just kind of tumbles out of his mouth? Lord, depart from me because I'm sinful. That's what some of us feel like. Lord, I don't know that I really want you to live in my house. I got stuff in my house. And here's, here's the thing. Jesus does actually want to move in. But it's not like a crazy aunt or a crazy uncle. And by the time the disciples got their minds and hearts around that, they didn't want him to leave. And when I think about this, you know, honestly, what what... I draw attention to or what I notice is kind of what it looks like for us to have an experience with Jesus and to begin to navigate these different steps toward welcoming him into our lives. And uh, one of the hallmarks, uh, I think, of our fellowship is we just have such a passion at Community of Hope, to be a kind of church. You know, when Beth and I were starting our church years and years ago now, man, many years ago, uh, I I just remember that we had such a a vision to be a church for people who, you know, had bumped around church or had never experienced church or never gone to church or they're just trying to figure it out. They're not really kind of like the religious type in a way, and they're but but they're curious and. 
And so we put a mission statement together that's been the rudder of our church for all these years. We exist to interest disinterested people in Jesus, grow them into fully devoted followers. And we've been on that journey now for these years. But when I think about that, what I notice, and this is what I want to draw your attention to this weekend, what I notice, I think there's some stages along the way of that. And I want to give you the stages that I think we can find embedded in Holy Scripture. There are four. And I want you to notice them. The first one, I think, is not so much a particular text as it is the predisposition of Scripture, if you will. And the predisposition of Scripture is written around what I would refer to simply as willingness. This is our first stage. And like I'm mentioning, it's not so much a text as it is a precondition of to knowing God. And, and some of us are in this stage. Uh, we are trying to manifest in our lives a willingness to learn, to come and listen. When, when Andrew, who was Peter's brother, who introduced Peter, that disciple, to Jesus, he simply said these words. He said, Peter, come and see. Come and see. And, and I think God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is in this place or wherever you're streaming the service online. And this is what I think he would say to many of us in this space. Come and see. And if we're going to really do that together, we have to begin with a manifestation of a simple willingness. Uh, I, I, I remember when I was growing up, um, my family, we attended church. It was kind of what we did. But here's what I think my mom now would even say. She would say, we, you know, I'm not sure I always understood it. And so when we went to different churches, because my dad, you know, in his career and we moved around the state, you know, sometimes we ended up in a church that I couldn't understand it. I couldn't get my arms around it, my mind around it, but, um, but I, but I kept going. I just kept going. I knew that was the right thing to do. And I think my parents knew that was the right thing to do. And, and somewhere along the journey that, that devotion to just be willing began to turn into something more. And, and some of you are here today, and, and here's what I would tell you, or you're listening and you would go, that's, that's right where I'm at spiritually. I'm, I'm at, I'm trying to manifest a willingness. And so you know what I thought I would do this morning? Uh, I thought I would pray for anybody that's in each one of these stages, and I thought we would do that as a church. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for any who are here in the, in the room or listening online right now who um, they would say of themselves, I'm, I'm at, I'm at the, tr- the manifestation of a willingness stage. Can we pray for them? Let's do so right now. Uh, Lord, um, there are many of us who are listening to my words and my voice right now that remember when they were in that stage. That not a lot of it made sense, not a lot of it seemed present or real, but God, we were trying to manifest a spirit of willingness that you are who you are, that you are actually real, that you are actually alive and present with us. And so God, for anybody in this stage right now, Lord, would you begin to manifest uh, in their direction a sense of your presence so that they could move from the stage of willingness to this next stage. For I pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, 
Amen. Here's what I would tell you if you're at willingness stage. Keep coming back. Okay? Keep coming back. Want to go to stage two? We got time. One, two. All right, stage two is the, is the stage that I call uh, awareness. It's the stage uh, of awareness. When I was growing in my faith and I was just had become willing, uh, I'll never forget one time we started attending a church and, and I noticed, now this is going to come off a little judgmental. If you want to be mad at me about this, email Trevor. So here's, here's the thing. Uh, I noticed a lot of people would come to church and they were um, on uh, what I would call on autopilot. It was sort of like go through the motions. But here's what I would tell you as a young teenager. I began to notice embedded within the large segments of the population of that fellowship that were on autopilot, I noticed some different things about some people. It was, it was beyond, you know, just autopilot. There was an awareness that there was something else available to us. One Christian author I know says it this way, Thomas Kelly, he says, it's normally out of the margins of life. There comes a whisper, a faint call, a premonition of a richer and more meaningful life. And that life with God is totally possible. And I began to notice it. I would, I would, I would notice a, a guy and I'd go, man, what's, what is different about that dude? Why does he seem to have more peace than everyone else? Sometimes I would even get to know, you know, how you get to know somebody, you know, their personal life and you go, man, the, 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 um, the testimony of their life would say they would be in this category, but I find they're over here. What is going on? And I began to notice an awareness about this. I remember years ago, there was a book uh, that came out. Uh, it, it was a child's book, but I know that many adults love it. How many of y'all remember the book, Where's Waldo? Right? Okay. And uh, let me tell you uh, uh, real quickly about this book. Uh, Where's Waldo? It was a writ- originally written uh, by an illustrator by the name of Martin Hanford. It was an afterthought initially. Hanford wanted to draw crowded scenes But children grew fascinated when trying to find what became to be their hero, Waldo, which was this geeky-looking glasses-wearing nerd with a striped shirt and a goofy hat. And so he began to embed the, the image of Waldo in all of his pictures. And to date, listen to this, over 40 million Where's Waldo books have been sold in 28 different countries. Crazy. And, and, and the idea behind that uh, is that on each page, you know, it starts out, you can see them simple. Each page gets a little bit more difficult. And, and this is sometimes the way it is with our faith. One Christian author I know says it this way. He says, every now and again, he goes, in our lives, we have what we call rainbow days, which is where the presence of God is so clear, you just like run right into it. How many of you ever had a rainbow day? There was some clarity of life somewhere. He said other days are what he calls ordinary days. And the ordinary days become difficult because something happens psychologists refer to as habituation. And habituation is when you have something new in your life, but over time you ignore it because it becomes so routine. 
like you get a watch. I remember the first time as a little boy, I think you got a watch for a Christmas present. Ah, oh, big deal. And I put the watch on, you notice it. Now when you wear a watch, you don't even notice that you have a, I have a watch. Uh, I'm a little bit of an OCD kind of personality. Can you tell? Come on. And uh, Beth was telling me the other day, so I like, I keep my, I try to keep my home in tip top shape. Beth told me the other day, she goes, when are you going to fix the molding in our room? And I said, what are you talking about? And she, she went and showed me that. And that's like a one inch piece of molding. I told her, I said, you need to see a counselor. (laughs) That conversation didn't go well, but anyhow. This one little piece, of, and that's my, clo- that's my closet door. I, I, I just walk right past it and didn't notice it. That's habituation. And this is what happens to us spiritually if we're not careful. You just go on autopilot. And the struggle with autopilot is here's what the Christian writers tell us. There's going to come a day when it won't be an ordinary day. It'll be what they refer to as the silent days. And that's when it's hard to find God. And can I just submit to you, 2020 has felt like a silent day. One Christian futurist I'm studying right now, reading from right now, says that um, one one of the blessings maybe of 2020 is that it's going to eradicate nominal Christianity in the church. Because our lives have reached this place where we're either in or not in. Interesting, right? So, I mean, if you think about it in these stages, right, we have a willingness, we have an awareness stage. The third stage is what we would call participation and practice. This is where we actually practice our faith. And you'll notice that this is actually embedded in the text. John chapter 14, verse 15. Do you notice what Jesus, John remembers Jesus as saying here, if you love me, keep my commandments. So you notice the conditional phrase of that? Biblical scholars refer to that as the law of causation, which is, which is a simple, uh, uh, complex way of saying this. There's an uh, if-then relationship sometimes in biblical texts. If you do this, then I do this. If you do that, then I do this. But you can't, you can't be a part of that until you're in. This is always a question for many of us. Are you in? Participation and practice. One of my favorite quotes, you've heard me say it before. John Donne, who says it this way, a century or so back where he said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting as much as it's been found difficult and left untried. This is the real one of those. And then lastly, what I think really is the essence of the Christian experience comes in this last one, which is what I call surrender. By the time you get to the upper room, the disciples are in. And Jesus tells them this really weird thing. So I'm leaving, everybody. Imagine that. Hey, I'm out. 
peace and blessings. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Hold on. Um, but I'm going to send my advocate. And the word he uses there that John records in the Greek is actually the word parakletos, which means my God will now be the one who is called alongside of you. And he will never leave you. And then he says this, even if it's not kind of weird enough, and then he goes this, he will be in you. What? He'll be in you. And I think this is the embodiment of of what Matthew points to when he gives prophetic utterings about Jesus, who is the Messiah from John, uh, Isaiah chapter nine, where we learn in Isaiah chapter nine, it's the famous Christmas text, right? A child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called wonderful counselor. Because by this time in life, we all realize that life will ask of us what we're not prepared to offer back to it. I remember asking my dad one time, dad, when will I have enough money to have kids? Can you imagine what he said? Probably what your parents said. You'll never have enough money to have kids. Just have kids. And that made me feel exciting and made me wonder, gosh, we were a lot more vulnerable when I was growing up than I thought. Right? He'll be a wonderful counselor. He'll be a mighty God. This is where Paul said, you know, my weakness becomes God's strength. He'll be an everlasting father. Aren't, aren't you happy to know that there are things in life, as wrong as they are, the Bible promises one day in eternity God will make it all right? Right? I shared with you earlier this year, Sometimes what comes out of my mouth when I see difficult experiences in my own life or others, I told you, I just, it's almost like a reflection. I'll say, gosh, Lord, in your mercy. You get news sometimes from somebody, Lord, in your mercy, will you just be there in that? This is kind of the cry of the prophet saying, there's coming a day when God will make it all right. And then he says, he'll be a prince of peace. And he'll give to us a peace that passes human understanding this is it but you got to surrender to that let's do it right now with every head bowed every eye closed I want to ask you to put your hands out maybe rest them in your lap in a palms up it's kind of a posture of receptivity And we've already prayed for those, you know, who are in the willingness stage. I want to pray now for those who are in the stages of awareness and participation and finally surrender. You know, God, we're here before you. And uh, Lord, there is a lot about our lives right now that seems to have the fringes and touches of uncertainty. And yet, oh God, you have promised to come to us, to be with us, to be in us. And so, Lord, my friends online, my friends in this room, God, we want to come and manifest to you a spirit of receptivity. And here's what I'd ask you to do just in a moment in your heart. Ask for more of God.
to be revealed to you in your life. The biblical writers would say it like this, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. And so we would say, Holy Spirit, come into our hearts. Live your life through us. Manifest your wisdom as counsel. Manifest your strength as mighty. Manifest our perspective as eternal. And manifest our anxiety into peace. Do it, God, to everyone hearing my voice. Do it in my life. Do it in their life. We thank you that it is your purpose and your pleasure to meet us where we are. For we pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Praise God. Um, I'll tell you this. He honors his promises. And so if you prayed that in earnest spirit and an earnest heart, he's going to meet you right where you are. I want to remind you about our services this week, indoor, outdoor, and online. Come and invite a friend into that space or take the online experience and share it. That would be great. Let's pray. Let's stand together and let me offer a benediction. And now may the God of peace who loves you beyond measure, who knows your life and loves you beyond measure, may he be your God as you go out into this space. May he be the one who manifests his goodness and and his grace in your life so that you can manifest his goodness and his grace to others. Go in his peace and in the awareness that you are loved. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. We'll see you this week.